Infinite ammo. Uh, greetings, ladies and gentle monsters. I am your host, Immortal Brando, and today we have a very special interview. We're joined here today with CEO of Night Dive Studios, Stefan Kick. Um, please introduce yourself. Uh, hi. I'm Steven Kick from Nightlife Studios. All right, all right. And for my panel today, I'll start from the top. Andre, introduce yourself. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, it's me, Andre B. Venom. I uh, can't wait to just talk about all these old classic retro games brought to life by Nightlife Studios. All right. Uh, Gamma Eli. Neil before Cathon. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, Burn Dragon. What's up, guys? Happy to be here. All right, uh, you. I'm about to feel Cothon next. Uh, Kujo? Uh, hi, this is Ben from Overlord Arcade. Um, I'm super excited to talk about a bunch of classics as well. Been hunting dinosaurs all morning, so happy to get into this one. Uh, Paragon Arpido? Yes, there has been a shock put to my system, and uh, I cannot wait to talk about Night Dive Studio and their history with games. It's going to be fun. Last but not least, Spartan Wright. Hi, my name is Nick, and uh, I'm just interested to see the intricacies of the decisions and how you get to that point. All right, enter a real number one on the document. What was your um, line as the CEO of Night Dive? What compelled you to remaster so many titles that were lost in time? That's a, a pretty good question to start with. Um, <laughs> um, well, uh, I started in the industry as a character artist back in uh, the 2000s. I was working for Sony, and um, I had more or less become kind of burnt out in the studio setting and um my uh girlfriend at the time she was also a character artist we both decided to quit and get in our two-door honda civic and drive across the border into mexico and um we did that for about 10 months uh, which left me with a lot of time to play a lot of classic games we had only brought a netbook with us at the time, mostly for just uploading photos to our blog, but it was really good for playing, you know, games emulated on DOSBox or ScumVM or, um, you know, pretty much anything before uh, the year 2000. And one night when I was in Guatemala, I had this urge to play System Shock 2. So I downloaded the, you know, the files and attempted to install it and... I couldn't. So uh, instead of giving up, uh, what I did was I started doing some research as to what happened to the game. I couldn't find anywhere to legally purchase it or, or even how to play it. And the whole thing was just a, a fascinating mystery to me. So I did the research and I found out that when Looking Glass went bankrupt, the rights went to an insurance company in the Midwest of the United States. and just kind of on a whim, I 
found out who their legal counsel was online, and I sent them an email and asked them if they had the rights, really not expecting anything back. And uh, about two hours later, they wrote me back and asked me what I wanted to do with them. And um, that was really kind of the beginning of Night Dive Studios. I you know, communicated with them while we finished up our trip, and by the time I got home, I had a business plan. Uh, I borrowed the money that I needed to license the property from friends and family. And then um, I sent the proposal to GOG, which at the time it was their number one most requested game. And uh, they didn't believe me. <laughs> yeah. So I sent them the paperwork. Of course, it was redacted. And um, they said, um, okay, well, it looks like you have the rights. Let's Let's put it on sale. And... It did so well that um, it basically freed me up from then on to devote my time and energy to finding any other classic game that, you know, you could no longer purchase legally or 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 play in any regard. And um, yeah, it's been just about 10 years now um, since that first initial release. And I think we've either published or remastered a total of, I don't know, like 130 games or something like that. Um, so it's been, it's been a wild ride. All right. All right. Uh, has anybody got any side questions to ask before we move on to the next documented one? I think uh, Andre had one. Go ahead. Uh, uh, you ever played the original Deus Ex stuff? Yeah. Yeah, oh, of course. Nice. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I was just asking out of curiosity if you're like, um, plan remastering, but our, um, or it's kind of like you want to do it, but it's, um, you got other projects to do. Yeah, that one's tough. Um, we've had some discussions with, with Square um, mm -hmm. about a number of titles. You know, when we started doing our System Shock 2 Enhanced Edition, we discovered that a lot of the same code was what was used in Thief. And, uh, of course, they have the rights to that as well. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of one of those, you know, connect the dots like, oh, we're doing the work on this engine now. We may be able to do something with Thief later. So let's, you know, have a conversation. Uh, but that was a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, as you know, Square hasn't really done anything with the, uh, the, the Looking Glass or the Ion Storm catalog stuff that they've had. Yeah, it's a really huge. It's a shame, too, because Deus Ex is such a great franchise and it deserves a lot more. Yeah. Same with Thief too. Yeah, both both titles kind of fit squarely into our wheelhouse of the stuff that we like to do, like first-person shooters that are, you know, retro, and then uh, immersive sims to to some degree. So, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, but we don't really have any open or ongoing discussions about that right now. Gotcha. Okay. If it's okay to ask, real quick. How is progress on System Shock 2 Enhanced Edition? How's, how's that coming along, if that's okay to ask? Yeah, sure. It's going along really well. Um, we've got a very small team of dedicated artists that have really been able to nail the art style. Uh, we've been posting some teasers and stuff on our Twitter account, but basically we're, we're running into the same obstacle that we ran into with System Shock Remake, which is how far do you push it? How, how much do you update the art? before you know it kind of crosses that line of of not being faithful and there's a lot of iteration and experimentation uh, when you're trying to figure that stuff out and i think we've 
we've totally nailed it um, in both accounts. Uh, but of course, with with System Shock Two, we're not remaking the game. We're just trying to update the original, and so it's a it's a different set of challenges. Um, but uh, the models and everything that we've got going into the game are, you know, based on the reactions that we've gotten from fans, anyways, have been have been very well received. And um, I think that right now the only assets that are left are the crew members. So um, there's a male and a female model, and I think there's like corpse variants um, that are being worked on right now. But we're we're kind of nearing the end of the um, the artistic updates, anyways. Very nice. Yeah, I just forgot to ask because I've been uh, before the interview started. I I was playing the System Shock demo that you guys had out on Steam. Yes. Yeah, that's actually quite. I mean, it by. The standards of where we're at now, it's pretty outdated, but it still should be a good representative of, of kind of what to expect. Um, but since then, I mean, we've just put it in an obscene amount of updates and work. And um, yeah, I, I really can't wait for everybody to get their hands on it. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait either. It's going to be awesome. I'm really mm-hmm. excited. Okay, um, Ren, where are we at number two? Sure, no problem. Explain the process that involves deciding which titles are remastered. Are they personal favorites or are they chosen from feedback within the gaming community? It's definitely something that's evolved since the beginning. Um, When we first started, it was mostly just me making the business decisions. And a lot of that was based on my own personal preferences and things that I played when I was younger, Uh, which is why you see a lot of. Um, kind of obscure adventure games from the early days of Night Dive, like um, uh, Titanic, um, Time Lapse, Noctropolis, uh, Bad Mojo, stuff like that. Um, those were actually games that I played with my dad growing up, and so they've got a lot of um, sentimental value to me personally. Um, and, you know, going into it, I knew that they weren't going to be, um, you know, on par with system shock too in terms of sales or anything like that but um really what the success of that first release gave me was that i could really kind of approach what we were doing from more of a philosophical way uh, where i just wanted to rescue these games because they meant something to me and i knew that they would mean something to other people and the monetary side of it was not a concern um it was more of I've gotten an opportunity to save this game so that future generations can play it and enjoy it. And it's not dependent on how well it's going to do financially. And um, over the years, that's definitely kind of changed with the growth of Night Dive. Um, it's, we're still kind of approaching it with that overall philosophy, but we do have to be a little bit more particular about titles we choose. Um, but luckily, because of our track record and everything that we've done, um, these opportunities are really kind of presented to us now. So, you know, I think after we did Turok 1 and Turok 2, we started kind of getting the attention of um, larger companies. And so we did work for um, 2K, we did um, Blood for Atari. And then when Doom Eternal was going to ship, um, or, you know, a couple, about a year or two out. Uh, that's when Bethesda approached us to do Doom 64, and then that opened the doors to Quake, and 
you know, my dad and I played those games too, and so did a lot of other people. And um, getting to work on something like that is kind of the culmination of, of you know, the last 10 years of, of doing this. Um, you know, working or getting to work on very obscure games to working on things that, you know, help define and, and change the industry. So um, right now it's, we're, we're presented with projects as opposed to going out and finding them. So, but either way, it's all good. It's all classic games. It's all stuff that um, we're making more accessible to more people. And, you know, we're kind of staying true to that initial philosophy. Would it be fair to say that these are past projects of yours? Oh, yeah. I mean, every, I'd say every single one is a passion project. Um, I don't think there's a single game that we've released that I hadn't played originally. Um, and, um, you know, in the rare case that we do get a game where I haven't played it, I'll, you know, be the first one to try it out or to test it or um, try to get it working. <laughs> you know, uh, before we do a full re remaster of it or, or, you know, apply some kind of emulator to it. One thing I noticed about uh, the Shadow Man remaster is um, uh, you actually brought back like cut content, like a, a cut boss fight and some cut levels. Yeah, that's, uh, that's dedication. That's really awesome to see. And also like uh, update the controls. Yeah, how is that process like where um, you're not only updating the game, but you're bringing in content that wasn't present in the original? Shadowman is a very special case. Um, we were lucky enough to be working with one of the original developers who is the composer of the original game, uh, Tim Haywood. And he had access to a lot of the kind of original, not design docs, but a lot of the ideas that the developers had that they wanted to implement. And as we were digging through the code, we were finding the remnants of that. So, um, you know, we'd find references to some of the levels that were cut and we could just ask him then and there, you know, oh, what was this going to be? You know, what was the boss fight going to be? Um, how is this integrated into the game? And he would more or less kind of lay it out and then we were left to piece it together and we had a i mean we have a great team it's they're still working on that and they're still implementing um some features that were cut and they really went above and beyond to ensure that you know anything that tim could remember in terms of what was left in the cutting room floor was was brought back in some way um and you know we were given the um the opportunity and and uh, kind of the challenge of of seeing it through. Okay, actually, I got a side question to ask. Um, you mentioned that Bethesda came to you to remaster um, Doom sixty four. Is there a publisher that you would like to work with to remaster certain um games? Like for example, say Capcom, right? If they approach you to work on the original trilogy or um, Resident Evil, would you um take that offer if it's possible? Yeah, I mean, that would be great. Um, you know, the Resident Evil games have, have been remade an, a number of times, and but uh, I think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Can you still play the original Resident Evil 2 on 
modern consoles, or is that pretty much locked to the PS2? It's, it's locked to the PS3 and the Vita, and technically PSP. Anything yeah. that, um, like that, that's it. Um, you can mod. Was it? Uh, you can mod RE2. I know on PC, like well, at least OG RE2. But there's no official like re-release. Um, unfortunately, same with the uh, one and three. Ah, yeah. I mean, if if we were given the opportunity to do that, that would be great. I mean, um, the Silent Hill, uh, you know, five five of those games would be fantastic to work on. Oh yeah, um, definitely. Um, I love Silent Hill like one, two, and three, like the death, and it's kind of a shame because they did get a re-release, but it it wasn't the best. <laughs> I'll say that much; it wasn't that great. <laughs> yeah, and again, those were for PS3, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and three sixty. Yeah, yeah. three sixty. Um, it never came to Steam. It's only yeah, on console. Yeah, that that would be a really big one on our list, and then um. Uh, personally, I would I would really like to work on the uh, the Legacy of Kane series. Um, those those again, you know, uh, the the Soul Reaver was a was a three D platformer, um, but it's it's kind of right again in that wheelhouse of of the stuff that we like to do from that time period. And um, you know, I of course have to mention Monolith. They've got a a ton of stuff that I would love to do, like um, Captain Claw. No one lives forever. Um, you know, spiritual successor to Blood would be a dream come true, or um, even the Fear series. I was actually just um, about to ask that because I love the Fear games, especially one and two. Uh, Fear one, a little unoptimized on Steam, but still a fantastic game. That's a shooter. Yeah, um, Aliens versus Predator two would be another one. Uh, condemned one and two need re-releases um, oh, across all absolutely. platforms. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Monolith, uh, Shogo, uh, Mobile Armor Division. You know that I think the rights to that are owned by Interplay. But um, yeah, I just the the Monolith from the '90s and the 2000s was just such an amazing studio. They output so many different projects, um, and they're all fantastic. And uh, I wish that we just saw more of that, more developers just kind of jumping from one thing to the next as opposed to, you know, spending all their resources on one big game and then, you know, doing a sequel to that right away and, and really kind of locking down that as a franchise. Um, I know, like, one of the things that we're kind of looking at doing is, is something different after System Shock comes out. <laughs> Just because we've we've kind of spent enough time in that world, and we want to do something new, and um, you just unfortunately you don't really see that um, from established developers anymore. I have two questions here before we sort of move on because that's interesting. You brought up Kadim since that was a fan question. Uh, someone said, "Do you think you can convince Jace Hall to re-release those two games now?" I know you listed that you want to do them, but getting there, actually getting to the steps, I would assume that's like very hard. It's a little tricky. Um, I actually met Jace a number of years ago when I was working at Sony. He was really good friends with our um, design director, uh, Matthew Higby, on Planet Side 2. Um, and then I had a chance to run into him again, I think at E3 
um, a couple years later. And so I ping him every once in a while about various things. Like if I need to know, you know, what was the, the right situation behind a certain monolith title that was published by, you know, GT Interactive or whatever. Um, and we've talked about Condemned, and I believe that he has the rights to Condemn 2, but not Condemned 1. And um, Condemned 2 was a console exclusive, and it never came out on PC. Um, so, I mean, it would just be... It would be hard, because I'd want to do both games, not just one. Um, but it's like one of the pieces are there. So if we ever manage to kind of crack the code, so to speak, with Warner Brothers and Monolith, um, that would be something that we would definitely want to explore. The second side question I had was relative to like the idea of Night Dive sort of making their own IP and game from the ground up. Like, would that be something that you would be interested in or you've done already? in the past yeah we've we've had a lot of ideas that we've kind of thrown around just um you know just for fun like we'll take an afternoon and we'll say all right let's just kind of jam and you know throw out some ideas that we've been thinking of or things that we think would be cool to do next um but we run the risk of kind of straying from like our core competency, which is, you know, remaking, remastering classic games. And so we thought a good compromise to that if we wanted to do something new was maybe take a franchise that we can't get the rights to and then doing a spiritual successor to it. Um, and so, you know, a lot of titles have kind of, um, you know, have, have been discussed in terms of what we'd want to do. You know, Thief being one. Um, uh, blood, uh, fallout. You know, if we wanted to do like a true isometric kind of spiritual successor in the um, in the vein of almost like uh, the Wasteland series by uh, Brian Fargo. Um, but you know, these are all just just ideas that we've kind of thrown out internally. Nothing, <laughs> nothing definitive yet. Sounds awesome. Thank you so much for answering my questions. So, Brandon, take the helm. Uh, Justin, what are we on number three? Definitely. What has been your favorite revival project under Night Dive so far? Um, definitely Quake, without a question. Yeah. Nice, awesome. Yeah, love that remastered game. I need to yeah. play Quake, dude. Man, I'm missing out. <laughs> yeah, I um distinctly remember. Uh, we got our first computer in 1995 when I was 10. And um, it's a little bit of a longer story, but uh, I remember going to, I think it was like CompUSA with my dad and my mom to go get it. And we got a Hewlett Packard, you know, Pentium 100 megahertz with 16 megs of RAM. And I grabbed a copy of the Doom shareware and I like threw it in the cart thinking my parents weren't going to notice it. <laughs> and uh the cashier was like ringing everything up and of course like my mom just immediately looks down and she sees that you know that iconic image of the doom guy fighting all these demons and there's blood and 
<laughs> they're fighting in this hellscape and she's like what is this and i'm like oh it's just you know it's a computer game like we got to get a game with our computer and she's like no 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 put it back and uh my dad's like well you know we don't want you playing violent games but like what about a star wars game and so they got me dark forces instead uh which was a good you know it's a good replacement um but ever since then you know since that time when i was still growing up i was like oh man that doom you know doom was like the forbidden fruit like i gotta get my hands on that and um through my mom's work um i met this uh this guy who is my mom's friend's son and uh he was like burning discs and had all this you know he was he was playing quake and quake 2 and he's like, oh, your parents don't let you play violent video games. And I was like, nah. Like, okay, well, here, just take these. They're like unmarked discs, you know. This one's Doom. This one's Quake. This one's Quake 2. And so I was, like, secretly playing these games on the computer. And um, I would go over to his house, and he would show me how to use the level editor uh, in Quake. And we would, like, work together on the same PC, and we'd build these deathmatch arenas. And, and that's what really kind of hooked me into the idea of becoming a game developer and so that's like you know i i i credit quake with kind of sparking that initial interest which kind of led me to where i am today and so when we were offered that project it was almost like i had come full circle and um yeah like every multiplayer play test every every opportunity that i had to play it and give feedback i was there and uh yeah it just the reception that we got from that was just, it felt like we had reached our pinnacle almost. If it wasn't for you guys remastering Quake, I probably wouldn't have gotten into it. Same here, actually. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you got to play it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I got a question for you. Um, what was the most challenging game you worked on this far? Uh, well, the remake of System Shock has been the most challenging. Um, you know, I think we're we're coming up on our sixth or seventh year working on it. Oh my! Wow, uh, that's pretty long. Mm. Yeah. So we ran our Kickstarter in 2016. Um. <laughs> so, uh, if anybody out there is listening and you're a backer, thank you for your patience. Um. Yeah, it's been a really long ride, but we're almost done. Um, but if we're talking about re-releases, uh, that's a good question. I mean, every every game has had its own challenges. Um, I mean, I remember we were working on Forsaken, and um, some company sent us an email after we had done our press release, and they're like, well, you guys can't do that. I own the rights to that. And, uh, you know, that opened up a whole can of worms. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. we've, we've had a lot of those situations before. We've had, um, you know, not being able to find the source code or, um, you know, it's just, it's just depends on the project, really. Like, what are we going to run into? How are we going to get around it? Um, what challenges are we going to face? And um, nothing's really new to us anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, every game, every game has its challenge to overcome, um, whether that it used a custom engine or it used some kind of licensed um, 
middleware or something like that that we've had to you know relicense or i've i mean pick your poison there's a million things that that can go wrong and and they typically do go wrong okay okay oh in that regard and um eli you want to read off the next question number four sure uh can you list some other projects that you would really like to revive under the night dive banner especially ones that are Hard to obtain, like Eternal Darkness. You want me to just name some other ones, some other projects that we'd like to do? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. I mean, Eternal Darkness is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I tweeted about that just recently. Um, just kind of like a in a in a kind of a frustrated way, like, oh man, like I would really love to do this, and uh, I think it got picked up by a couple of news sites. Um. And, uh, yeah, I hope I didn't receive the ire of Nintendo in any way. Um, we've, we've talked to them before, but it definitely seems as if they just, you know, unless it's something that they're, they're doing themselves, they don't really want a third party touching, um, if it's something that they own. Um, let's see. I wish I was in front of my, my game collection. That would certainly help me. (laughs) Be able to pick some titles. Give me, give me one second here. I think I, I got a list here. Nintendo, you should hire this guy to help yep. you out on this. <laughs> Don't make Eternal Darkness great. Trust me. It's ironic because we just had a podcast on Eternal Darkness, and I think uh, people were also like really showing their love and enthusiasm for you know bringing this back and bringing up the night dive article and that passion and enthusiasm was really like large so i I think for the most part yeah people will want to see this happen as fans of old school survival horror who probably never got the chance to play this on the gamecube so i think that's really touching when we got to that point and people were so uh thrilled to talk about it and want to see it again in the modern format i'd buy it Oh yeah, absolutely. Me too. Like day one, I I played that game recently for the channel. Day one, I loved it. And if there was ever some silver lining, I definitely would pick it up from Night Dive. I want to get the I want to I want to get the shit skin out of me. It's one of the like trippiest games ever. Like Mm -hmm. like it 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 messes with your head to the point where like looks like you lost your save. (laughs) Oh yeah, I remember that. And and um. I I was in a slightly different boat when I discovered the game. I was in college, and um, I was really into... I, so I had originally gone to school for game design. I was going to be a writer and a designer before I decided to do game art. And so I think for one of my projects, I was going through as many Lovecraftian-inspired games as I could. And um, so I had played um, Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth, um, Prisoner of Ice, uh, Shadow of the Comet, Alone in the Dark. And I was doing research and someone's like, oh, you should play Eternal Darkness. That's like, you know, as good as it gets. And I had never had a GameCube, um, but we had one um, at my girlfriend's house. And so I think I found a copy on eBay. It was like $20 back then. Ow. And... um yeah, I mean, it's pretty expensive now. But, you know, back then as a college student, I was like, oh, do I really want to spend the money? <laughs> um, but I got it, and uh, the two of us played it together, um, you know, in the dark on a 
little probably like a 24 inch crt and um i just loved it it was great um very lovecraftian um without going too far um and uh yeah i mean there's just there's no other way to really play it um outside of emulation of course but but even then it's like i feel like you're just losing something um there's you you just don't get the same kind of um feedback from you know playing it in front of a tv with a controller and and having those scripted moments play where yeah it looks like your games crash and your saves are being deleted and uh you're slowly going insane um so yeah that's i mean that would be very high up on my list i actually wrote to um um what's his name dennis dyack of silicon knights uh not too long ago and i was like <laughs> you know what's going on with this like do you guys still have any rights to it does nintendo own you know the copyright i know they have the trademark um they revive it every five years i think which is the you know the cutoff um but as far as i know i don't think that they'll be able to do that next time um without having a commercial product available or else anybody can kind of just step in and take it um so there's still a lot of work to do in, in terms of really understanding what's going on with the rights um but i mean so far we've we've been able to do just about everything we've we've wanted and so um it's it's one of those things where you know it's it's always going to be in the back of my mind and you know maybe the right opportunity will come up one day and we'll we'll just you know finally do it Ah, okay. Um, get to rail number five. Um, how hard what? How hard is it for the team to acquire things like lost source code and rework that for modern uh, remasters? Also, if you couldn't get your hands on the um source code, do you guys like um emulate the game or do you like re rebuild the source code for yourself? Same way as um, uh, what was it Square Enix did with Kingdom Hearts? So yeah, it, it it all depends. Um, sometimes we're able to find the source code, and generally that will be from somebody who worked on the game originally. They'd still have like um, a, a repo of it, and from like there, Quake? yeah. Well, I mean, the Quake source code I believe was released by ID um, a okay. number of years after it came out, so that was it's open source. Right, right, right. Um, but stuff like um, Turok, for example, um, we were looking into doing that game, and at first we were just looking at, you know, applying some some very hacky kind of DLLs to just get the PC version running, and just doing you know a Steam port or something like that. And I had started doing some research, and I came across um, this guy named uh, Kaiser or, you know, he's known as Kaiser anyways online, who was reverse engineering the original N64 code. And so I contacted him and asked him if he would be interested in kind of bringing his project over to Night Dive and, and turning it into a commercial endeavor. And 
he agreed and I hired him and um, he's the one ultimately responsible for creating the Kex engine, which is uh, more or less a, a wrapper that will take the original source code of a game and allow it to be injected with, you know, various hooks and, and new renderers and, and new ways to control the, the core logic. And um, like midway through development, we had done a press release or something to that uh, level where uh, an original developer of Turok reached out to us and said, hey, you know, I was the designer on this. Do you guys want the source code? <laughs> and uh, we're like, oh, absolutely, sure. We would love to check it out. And so he sent us the code for Turok 1 and Turok 2. And um, we were able to check the reverse engineering efforts that, that Kaiser had done on Turok with the actual source code. Um, because when you're reverse engineering things, you're, you're basically just doing it to the best of your ability and trying to re like recreate the original code. And, um, oftentimes you have to actually play the game and observe the game logic, um, and the loops yourself in order to make the adjustments necessary to get it as accurate as possible. But when we had the source code in hand, we could actually use it as a reference and, and tweak things manually that way. Um, and so that was an incredible boon, and it saved us a lot of time. And uh, we were able to um, recreate whatever code we were missing based on, on the original stuff. Um, and that, you know, that's, that doesn't happen very often. But generally now, um, if we're choosing to do something with the Kex engine, we want to start with the original source code. We don't want to reverse engineer it because um, it's very costly. Um, it takes a long time. And um, the people that we have on our team that are capable of that, um, they're better suited for other things, to be honest. Um, the fact that they can even do it is, is incredible. Um, but we would much rather them working from the original code and just getting the game developed as opposed to trying to figure out the code to begin with. I, I'm actually a little curious when you have access to and you're, you're basically like working on uh, doing the engine work yourself. Since these are games that you were playing as a kid, everybody's got that with, with any game, everybody's got that thing they want to fix in something. But mm -hmm. since you're, you know, kind of like remastering a game, if you fix too much, then it's going to be, um, what's the term? It's not going to be quite as, as accurate to the original. Are you ever really tempted to just fix something that ever bugged you when you were playing it when it first came out? <laughs> yeah, that, that happens a lot, actually. Um, Turok is another great example for that. Um, the platforming in the original was awful. Yes. I was so, playing it, and it's so smooth on the Steam port. Yeah. Uh -oh. So we fixed that. Um. <laughs> thank you thank you very very much I'm glad you did because I played the original version when it was on I think N64 and I did not like the platforming yeah I mean also, the... like... oh sorry go, go ahead I was gonna say it also feels like the draw distance is a little uh, more polished up because I can see a little further than five feet in front of me so that's kind of nice I appreciate that as well <laughs> Yeah, and, and to answer your question, we do try to fix as many of those, you know, legacy kind of issues that people had with it, whether they be bugs or just, you know, design choices. 
Um, but in most cases, we try to enable um, like a toggle so that you could turn that off if you really want to experience the way it was. So the draw distance thing is a, is a really good example of that. We decided to kind of pull the fog back because, you know, as you know, the Nintendo 64 wasn't exactly a powerhouse. Um, and they implemented that fog so that they could actually render, um, you know, a, a good amount of the draw distance at a reasonable frame rate. Um, but the funny thing is when we started pulling that back, we noticed that a lot of the 3D models weren't completed because they were just saving on memory. They were just deleting faces and triangles that you were never going to see anyways. Mm -hmm. But when we started revealing it, it was like, oh man, there's like huge holes in these walls and um, the tops of the trees aren't modeled. Like it's just a <laughs> basically a trunk that just goes up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so we had to like go into every level where we pulled the fog back and we had to, you know, finish all these models, all the environment models and a lot of the, the weapon models too, um, where if we wanted to support a higher FOV, it would expose the back of the gun or parts of the gun you were never meant to see. And they literally weren't there. Um, so we had to fix all that. Um, but if you really want to see the fog the way it was, um, I, you can toggle that back on in the options menu. I actually wanted to ask about the bugs, though. Because um, speedrunners in particular love their bugs in um, games like Torok. So, like, do you guys purposely fix those speedrunners-like bugs <laughs> just to mess with people, or you just leave them alone because you know people actually like those particular bugs? Like, how, how do you approach that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's another thing too. Like we actually have um a speedrunner on our team. Um that's not his primary job or anything like that. He's he's in quality assurance, but um he loves to speedrun our stuff and will try to find exploits and um it'll be generally something that we leave alone. Um like I know in um in System Shock, there's a there's a exploit where you can kind of like run at and then crouch, and quickly go into the save menu um, as you're like hitting a door, and um, as you load back into the game, it'll actually pop you out on the other side. Um, so there's like there's all kinds of weird stuff like that that we do encounter um, that we'll mostly leave alone, because um, <laughs> we don't. We don't want to anger anybody if we don't have to, and these are things that only they're going to do, and it's not going to like break the game or make it unplayable for anybody else. So, um, as far as I know, we've left most of that intact. That's actually really fitting having a speedrunner on your quality assurance team. <laughs> it's I really mean, good. Who better to who better to test to break your game, right? <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. It's a little maddening. Um, the last thing that he did is he speed ran through our remake of System Shock, and it was like, "Can you can you not try to break the game right now? <laughs> can you just play it normally." Actually, how long is uh, System Shock, uh, Stefan? Like uh, the first one? Like how long do you anticipate the how, like the the game length is going to be? Yeah, yeah, the length, yeah, something like that. Um, if you've never played it, I could probably see maybe playing it for 
like 12 to 16 hours. Okay. Right. Contrast to that, how quickly did your speed run to beat the game? Oh, they're beating it in under eight now, I think. Under Jeez. eight minutes? Eight hours. Jeez. Eight hours. Oh, eight hours. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Andre, you want to read up number six? Uh, sure. Uh, let me find number six. Okay. Number six. Is there a chance uh, to remaster Call of Cthulhu Dark Corners of the Earth? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, I talked about it earlier. I, I personally really love that game. And uh, the rights are held by Bethesda. And um, yeah, I was, I was talking to uh, somebody on their team not too long ago about that and uh, as a potential game that I'd want to do. And they're like, oh, yeah, that was like the first game I worked on. And so I got to hear all these stories about the development and how that came to be and why the sequels got canceled. And um, I was like, OK, well, if you guys ever decide to, you know, you want to do it, you know who to talk to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would love to do it. It needs it needs a little TLC and um, needs some bug fixing and it needs to be ported to, you know, modern consoles. Um, because, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it still holds up. I think that GOG just released um, a version that fixed a lot of kind of long-standing issues um, like a year or two ago, and um, that kind of proved that there's still a, a considerable appetite for it. And um, yeah, I mean, I would I would love to do it. I'm a big Lovecraft fan. Um, love the works of of Lovecraft and his contemporaries and. Um, any chance to do anything Lovecraftian is, you know, high on my list. Actually, uh, real quick, uh, I'm sorry, you like, I mean, no, like, uh, but, um, uh, actually, <laughs> since you like Lovecraft, uh, seven, have you, uh, any chance to play Bloodborne? <laughs> this is like off topic though. Yeah. So. Yeah, I did. Um, I don't play a lot of console games, but, um, I did get Bloodborne when it came out because of the Lovecraftian influence. And unfortunately, that was my first experience with a Souls game, and I didn't know what those were. So when I went into it, I was like, what the f*** is this? Like, this is such bullshit. <laughs> that's oh, very fair. That's, that's a fair response. That's, that's, that's understandable. Trust me, those games are, they're not for everyone. They're, they're yeah. you gotta have a ton of patience to, like, play one of them. <laughs> And, you know, I've heard, you know, based, I've talked about this before at length with, with people who are fans of the genre, and they're like, yeah, if this was, like, your first one, like, this is not what you should have played first. Um, yeah, I, I eventually just got to a point where um, I think, like, I kind of, like, I didn't softlock myself, but I didn't know what I was really doing when I was building out my character, and I just specced completely wrong for the type of play style i was i was kind of going for and um i think i i've been i like i got pretty far but i have to start over and i have to actually do some research into into how to play the game properly <laughs> gotcha oh yeah definitely those games yeah it's um it takes i think once you find a good groove those games aren't too bad yeah i did have a lot of fun and i love the the horror element of it and the gameplay was was highly addicting after a while um but uh yeah it's definitely one of those i i'm gonna have to revisit it i just there's something about the um the playstation i just don't really like 
Like, I don't like the feel of it. Um, like, the controller is just doesn't... Um, ergonomically, it just doesn't work for me like, it, like an Xbox controller does. And I was also playing on the base PS4. Um, and so the frame rate wasn't great, if I remember correctly. Yeah, at launch, it was not good. It's gotten better now. And also, if you play, I'll say, on a Pro or a 5, which is, I think, Lock 30, you're, you're fine. But yeah, it was not good at launch with its frame rate. And before, yeah. a, lot of people are, a lot of people have been asking for Bloodborne to be uncapped at 60. Yeah, or a re-release of it. Yeah, like a remaster. There's been like a lot of rumors that like Blue Point's doing a Bloodborne remaster, but uh, I Bill, how's honestly, it happen? I doubt it's gonna happen to be honest. But that's just me. Well, I, you know, I was really surprised when um, Horizon Zero Dawn and um, Death Stranding and some of these other, you know, what I would think would be console exclusive titles started showing up on Steam. So I guess anything's possible. True. Sure. True. Yeah, that's fair. All right, I guess we'll move on to number eight. Um, cool, Joe, you want to read out? Yeah. Uh, we know that tech has grown stronger over the years. Is there any engine or technique that the team utilizes to advance newer titles at Night Dive? Um, uh, not that I can really think of. Well, I mean, we utilize PlayFab for cross-platform uh, multiplayer, so I guess that's a that would count. Um, that, uh, of course, enables you to play multiplayer games with people um, across different consoles. So, uh, you know, if you play Turok 2 multiplayer, you can play with uh, players on Switch and PlayStation and Xbox and PC, and uh, we utilize that with, um, I believe, with Quake as well. Um, that was actually pretty fun. I remember hopping into a, a, a lobby on my PC and just absolutely tearing up a bunch of console players. <laughs> <laughs> That's punching down. <laughs> Welcome to Quake. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of some other things. I mean, we, it's all kind of dry stuff. Like, you know, we utilize, um, you know, OpenGL and Direct3D, of course, with our renderers, and, and some of those we've implemented just recently. Uh, we use Vulkan um, on some of our re-releases as an option. I'm glad you did, because I really love the Vulkan rendering in most of the games so far. Yeah, it actually works very well. Um, this is a little bit of a different thing, but we use um, NVIDIA's uh, DLSS on System Shock Remake, uh, which really helps us get some fantastic frame rates at 4K. Ooh. I, I noticed that during the System Shock demo. Yep, actually, yeah, the demo should have DLSS on it. I kind of have a silly question. Would you ever consider ray tracing inside your games? Um. I know that we've had some discussions about it, um, and we've been experimenting a little bit with with um, with Nvidia, of course, with their RTX um, enabled graphics cards. Um, but yeah, nothing is currently supported right now. Hey, would you uh, would you give me a moment? Sure, no problem. I'll be, I'll be right back. No problem. Okay. All right. So we got our little uh, break here, intermission, yeah. so to speak. 
It's been really interesting hearing his thought process on games, though. Learned a lot. Yeah. Especially putting like ray tracing in older games, because at first I I didn't think that was even remotely I... a thing. I didn't yeah, even yeah. know he was going to talk about... Sorry to interrupt. I didn't know he was going to talk about renders like OpenGL and uh, what's it, DirectX 3D? Yeah. But yeah. I don't know how Dan Vulcan Vulcan, yeah. Yeah. I, I legit did not know he like played Bloodborne. That like surprised me. I cool. kind of want to ask if any of the mm-hmm. other Turok games are going to be sort of ported over. Oh, because. Wars. Oh, that'd be so oh good. yeah, yeah, and also the third one, which I think had some issues because they had like different publishers. So I'm wondering if that's I'm even possible. Wait, one. Ren, right, hold up, Ren. Um, are you talking about Turok 2008? Uh, no, 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 no. It, I'm talking about like Turok three. Uh, I think 2008 okay. was the reboot. Evolution. Yeah. That's oh, reboot. yeah. you're right. Okay. Sorry, I'm I, back. Yeah, you're, you're good, man. We, we we were on a tangent about yeah. Turok, so that's usually how it goes. Reboot. That's a good yeah. way to reintroduce yourself back in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah definitely. But yeah, fun. To, yeah, been fun. Okay. Uh, you want me to answer that? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're our guest. Yeah, yeah. Tur- Turok three is and and Rage Wars are definitely. They're high up on our list. Um, I really can't say anything more than that right now, but um, like Evolution and 2008 are kind of not in our in our realm right now. Um, I did have happen to meet some of the original developers of of 2008, and uh, that was another one where they they expressed that they they'd want to help us integrate a lot of ideas that didn't make it. Um, so kind of in the same way that, uh, that shadow man went. Um, so who knows? I mean, uh, I think that Disney owns some of the rights to that. Um, Oh no. Yeah. Well, to the, to the 2008 version, to the, to the reboot. Oh, 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 okay. never mind. They can keep that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. They can keep that. Well, I know if Rage Wars hits Steam, I got a handful of people that be chomping at the bit to get that, like, day one. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Yeah, I know I, some of our developers have been really wanting to to do Rage Wars, but, um, yeah, I mean, we're going to have to do the whole Acclaim, you know, maybe maybe not Evolutions, but we'll have to do the Turok 1 through 3 and, and Rage Wars as a, as a set one day. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Okay. Oh, in that case, then I guess we can move on to number nine. Has anybody else gotten another side question to ask, real quick? Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good on side questions. Yeah. All right. Connecticut, go ahead and read off number nine. Gladly. And this is my favorite question so far, since these days uh, we're talking about this specific uh, subject that we're going to get into. Um, can you give us your full, unfiltered thoughts on game preservation? Uh, prev- uh, I can't even speak today. Yeah. My unfiltered thoughts. Yes. Um, <laughs> Go all out, buddy. <clears throat> well, I definitely think that since Night Dive started, there's been more of an emphasis on preservation. And a lot of studios are taking a lot of responsibility in, in making sure that they're, uh, you know, making adequate archives of, of their assets uh, to ensure that they don't get lost. 
because uh, as we kind of discussed already, like half the trouble is finding that original code or some of those original assets that are required to make a, a better remaster. And um, I don't think anybody wants to be in that position again, especially when it's proven to be quite lucrative to re-release old content, especially on, on newer machines. Um, I think that some of it kind of goes out of, out of hand a little bit sometimes. Like, um, I remember kind of gawking a little bit when uh, Naughty Dog announced that they were going to be remastering The Last of Us. Um, you soon, know, but... <laughs> yeah, like, you know, the game just came out. Like, just why don't you give it a couple of years, you know, like, relax. <laughs> <laughs> It came out like oh. nine years ago. Well, I mean, the new rumors out there were they're doing like a remake of the game for PS5. Right. I'm I'm talking about the the PS4 remaster that came yeah, out. Yeah, the one like back almost... then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing I waited for the PS4 version. Not gonna lie, I never had it when it was on PS3. Um, I I think it was but... cool that it was at 60 FPS, and that, that was a nice option to have it smoother. And that but... was the only change they did. Yeah, yeah everything else was, was just mostly FPS. the same. But I mean, um, you know, to their credit, uh, I bought it, even though I was like, why would anybody want this? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it might just be a little a little too much in, in that regard. But, um, right. you know, but that, that kind of proves my point. It's like they're going to they're going to save that code and they're going to maintain it. And they're going to update it. And every time a new platform is released, they're going to uh, re-release it because ultimately there's going to be people that missed it, um, won't want to buy old hardware to play it, or, oh, yeah. or, or won't want to, you know, in some cases track down an old copy if, it's, if it hasn't been um, available on a digital platform. Some um, games can't even do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Soldier of Fortune has been maddening. Oh, yeah. yeah and some of the games... And some of the games, the only way to play them is by emulation. And people are willing to support, you know, these games that were never re-released. They're willing to spend the money, but some companies doesn't want to pull, put them out. Yeah. There's, um, finding these old games is a huge pain in the butt because, like, they're really expensive. Or, heck, the games don't even work anymore. You have to, like, use it, the old hardware. Yeah, I know Nintendo gets a lot of flack for that, too, just with the the way that they've been monetizing their their old games on various systems and and content not transferring over like you know i i bought a wii when it first came out and was really yeah. thrilled at their marketplace and bought a bunch of old classic games and some new games as well and it's like those are gone you know yeah. i'm gonna boot up the wii which <laughs> you know i don't even think i have anymore dust it off yeah this the star's pretty much dead. Like, my Wii's long. Now. My Wii is like long destroyed, so I don't think that's an option Man. for me either. And now they're doing the same with the 3DS, and you know, people don't want to. Uh, I don't want to say the these words jailbreak. You know, their uh, handheld, but if that's their only way of playing uh, these uh, 3DS games that will never be released on the new on the Switch, what can you do? You know, Nintendo doesn't want to re-release them. And there are only ways to jailbreak the 3DS, and it's unfortunate. They legit are eviscerating some of their own games by doing that, which is ironic. Absolutely. Yeah, they like. Do you? Do you I mean, remember the Mario collection from like 2020? I have that. Oh and, God. And I, and you know, 
they sh they should have done a better deal with that collection. They they really dropped the ball. The fact you had to get it in like I want to say six to seven months, and if you don't get it, well, too bad you can't play it. Ugh, you oh it. yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, they got roasted into knowing like, that. Like the backlash against Nintendo was just insane, and um, um, I know you can get it, but it's like I heard it's like nine hundred dollars just to get one copy. Nine hundred? Apparently, like I checked on Amazon, it's like. I think nine hundred to a thousand, so it's like, bro, like, Mama mia, like twenty-year-old games, man. Oh my god. Yeah, this is why I I fully support like when stuff is definitely put out there, remastered, and given to us at affordable rates. Because um, exactly. while I want to play some of these games that are like twenty to thirty years old, uh, the options are getting much harder for physical now, especially with um the pandemic and how covid has been affecting things and people have been buying things up so i i love game preservation i just wish that other people would do much better jobs with these older titles which is why once again i see why this fits into night dive's mission plan to try to remaster all these things from the past and bring them back because others are not doing such a great job with it yeah, and I would say um, to the credit of the industry, there's been a, a number of studios that have opened up um, that are doing a, a really great job as well. Like um, mm -hmm. uh, Digital Eclipse is a is a great example of a studio that does um, very similar things to us. Um, as uh, as is Aspire, um, they've been handling a lot of the, um, I guess you call them remasters of some of the LucasArts Disney stuff. Star Wars games. <clears throat> yep. Also be um, making Kotor. Oh yeah, Devolver Digital. Yeah. Brandon's oh, name. they're really good too. I, I love Devolver so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're great. Like their quality of games is just excellent. I Shadow Warrior is just so man. Um, can I put can I put like Cold Mystics into it? Because you know, they also re-release old fighting games from SNK. Yeah, absolutely. I oh. mean, um, yeah, so yeah, there's a there's a lot of new studios or established studios that are finding a lot of success and just doing what the bigger studios don't really want to do. Absolutely. <laughs> yep, you got to go out there and uh, definitely give them the love and support they deserve they definitely because get the money. Uh, they're definitely trying their best to preserve the past, and I think that's just as important as making new games, honestly. Yeah, of course. Um, actually, I got a question though, and this um ties into the uh, question nine itself though. How do you feel about companies uh, like Xbox and especially Sony now, given what happened with last generation of uh, with PS4? How do you feel about them actually doing backwards compatibility now? Because um, that my personal stance is it's a good thing they're doing it to um keep um like PS4 games, for example, preserved. Because if PS4 store goes down, you still can play on the PS5. So what's your stance on companies doing backwards compatibility for you know, previous generation or generations? The whole thing's been really confusing, unfortunately. Like I remember, um, you know, when the PS3 first came out, it was it was backwards compatible with both PS1 and PS2 games. Um, but then, like the next revision of it came out and it removed all that backward compatibility. Uh, it removed the PS2. But it kept the PS1 because you could play oh, the PS okay. on the PS3 on all versions, but not the PS2 because that's literal the hardware. 
so yeah it was like a further revision it was confusing yeah yeah which i wish five different ps3s and they all do different stuff it's a total roll of the dice which i wish the ps5 would at least do ps1 native backwards compatibility yeah because uh they came out with i think when the slum came out they just stopped with bc entirely because um I guess they like redid uh, the hardware, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Well, for PS5, it, it sucks, but I see why because I think all the way back in the past, they talked about how um, it was just going to focus on PS4 and PS5 only, and they didn't have it in the cards for uh, uh, all the other yeah. hardware features. But uh, they're trying now with this new service called um, Premium, and they're adding in the fact that they're putting the older games backwards compatible but it's either going to be streamed or downloaded uh so i'm I'm sure you heard about that steven when they were announcing their prices and everything right yeah yeah i i i just think that the the hardware is it's either already at that point or it will be soon where it's so powerful that any one of these companies could create an emulator um that would you know, emulate the the old hardware and enable you to play any classic game that originally came on that. Um, and uh, I mean, if you were to even in in uh, excuse me, um, <clears throat> enable developer mode on the current Xboxes, like you can turn those into basically emulation workstations. Like you can play any game from any console on there. Um, you know, except for maybe. <laughs> PS4 and PS5 games, but um, there should be some kind of official support for that. And I mean, if they can do backwards compatibility, I think it just it just extends the life cycle of, of everything that they do. Like if PS5 did another Net Eurose thing where they had developer like a developer specific consoles that you could upload directly through that. Yeah, or. So Series um, X uh, has has a developer mode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys watch um, uh, Modern Vintage Gamer on YouTube. Yes, I've, uh, I've, 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 I've seen his videos from time to time. Yeah. Yeah, he actually works for uh, for Night Dive. I don't know if you knew that. Oh really? Oh, oh yeah. That's, he did. He cool. did mention he was somewhat involved with the Quake remaster. Yeah. That's all I know about it. Yeah, he had a big part in that. Um, but yeah, I like I. I got to know him by watching his videos first. And um, I was like, oh, man, this guy's like super smart. <laughs> Shout out to him as well. Yeah, I should reach out to him and see if he you know, wants to work on this stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, his videos about turning consoles and and uh, that type of thing into, you know, emulation workhorses are, are one of the most fun things. And I think that, uh, you know, the big three could could learn something from that. All right. Um, I guess we we'll move on to the next question then. If you don't have any more thoughts, Ed. Yeah, I mean, I I could probably do like one more question if that's cool. Yeah, that's actually the last question, so you're you're good. Um, Kaneki, I'm going to read that all. All right. And to end with this question, um, is there any advice that you would like to you would like give to someone who wants to join the game industry and preserve retro gaming? Yeah. Um. Yeah, if you wanted to kind of get into this, um, I would definitely recommend probably one of two paths, uh, one of which is is uh, getting into re- reverse engineering. 
um there's a lot of games out there that that need to be preserved and, and need to be re-released to be enjoyed again and a lot of them aren't going to get it um and i'm sure a lot of people have their favorite game that they want to see um uh, get remade or get remastered to some degree and um sometimes the best chances of that happening is is to do it themselves so um either taking a kind of a, a programming side of things or if you really love um the art style or the the limitations that these games had back then um learning how to 3D model and and texture um in that style is is going to be really valuable um it's it's interesting to want to recommend somebody learn about old art techniques and not want to just focus on, you know, what is um, kind of trending in terms of like AAA stuff, but um, learning to do low poly models and hand painting textures is going to be probably pretty valuable um, as we want to increase the fidelity of some of this stuff um, to support, you know, modern resolutions uh, in the future. Um, we're very lucky to have a couple of um, great artists that um, got their start in the industry back then and, and have a, a good background in, in that kind of artwork. And so when we need them to go in and, and fix something on an old game, they can do it and they can make it look seamless like it was always there. And um, that's, a, that's a great skill to have. So, yeah, either uh, get into programming or get into the, the art side of things. Okay, okay. Well, I guess it's time for us to wrap up and do outros. Um, uh, Steven, um, care to, um, well, pull up yourself, you know, obviously what you do or any socials, anything you to share, like projects you want to, anything, anything you want to share? Yeah, sure. Um, we would love to, uh, to have you on our Discord channel. So um, it's totally open and there's links on our website. You can either go to nightdive.com or nightdivestudios.com. Um, check out the System Shock demo that's on Steam. It's a bit old, but um, should be a pretty good representation of what to expect when the game comes out. And um, if you want to wishlist it, that'd be awesome. Uh, and we have a lot of fun on Twitter, actually. Um, so if you want to follow us on there, our handle is Nightdive Studio without the S. And uh, yeah, I I tend to leak a lot of stuff that I probably shouldn't. So um, yeah, if you want to follow me on there too, you'll. <laughs> you'll see things that uh you probably shouldn't <laughs> juicy <laughs> this is where Very we get nice. the spicy content updates fellas yes <laughs> but man it was fun talking to you Stephen. we learned a lot um um because i actually want to be like a game designer that's kind of like a job i want to go for i also want to i for me i would want to get in the game writing yeah there's there's a lot of opportunities out there and mm -hmm. um there's a lot of games being made, so I mean, if there, there's there really hasn't better 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 time to uh, to get into game dev. Well, Steven, since you're pressed for time, uh, I think we can let you go right here. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and honestly, getting so much insight and uh, so much information about how Night Dive operates. And it was such a pleasure. I can't wait to put this up on the channel and tag you guys and have a lot of fun with it. Cool. Yeah, thank you guys so much for the opportunity. I um, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, no problem. No problem. Likewise. Yeah, it was uh, awesome. Nice, nice talking to you, dude. Cool. Good meeting you guys too. I'll talk to you later. Nice. Take it easy. Take it easy later. All right. Bye.
All right. Um, what a nice guy. Well, when you done your <laughs> wait, <laughs> yeah, we got an outro. Oh, outro. Everyone else is like, well, wash my hands. Of this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we ain't done yet, boys. All right, time for after ourselves. Um, Andre, after yourself. Uh, you can find me at Twitter, Andre B. Venom. But yeah, that was an awesome podcast. I had a lot of fun. All right, Eli, after yourself. You can find me on Twitter at Gamma Alias. All right, Justin. You can find me on YouTube and Twitch at Inferno Dragon 3D and on Twitter at Inferno Dragon 3D. This shit was fun. <laughs> All right, Kaneki, outro yourself. Twitter and YouTube under the name of Ghoul War Order is where you can find me because I'm right. screw Twitch. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't mean Unprofessionals. Uh, hey, you can find me at YouTube at Overlord Arcade. Uh, Renegade. Heard that, Renz? Uh, yeah, yeah. So you can find me on uh Twitch at Renegade Operative. Uh, no, it's Ren. It's Renegade underscore Operative. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ren Operative underscore all the underscores, and you can find me on YouTube Renegade Operative. Uh, I will be trying to put this up on the Infinite Ammo Syndicate channel, and also uh, crying at Eternal Darkness whenever my head pops off like a meatball. So I'm gonna be doing more of that on the channel wait for that reaction that's gonna be Spartan. fun sweet Spartan sweet right. tears of fear <laughs> assault is real <laughs> all right hold up uh spartan right how Teresa? Uh, i am spartan right i don't have any socials i'm just a residential voyeur i keep forgetting you don't socials i should keep, be skipping you say renegade uh, just <laughs> say it's in the discord <laughs> as it usually is it's all good IS Discord right. is in the description below in the video, so you want to jump in and see us be weird, you can do that. All right, well, right. last but not least, um, you can find me on Twitter at Immortal Brendel. We can? Sir Brendel. Everyone else is none of your business. <laughs> oh, but, uh, in a way. <laughs> but anywho, um, yeah, thank you everyone for listening, watching, or however you consume this. Uh, have a blessed day, night, evening, and enjoy the rest of your whatever else you're doing right now. Bye. Chana. See ya.